This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Founded in 1932, Lego brand toys and building blocks are a cornerstone of many people's childhoods. Even adults revel in the joy and creativity that Legos bring. But despite building their company on strong foundations, in 2003, this long-standing Danish company was millions of dollars in debt and on the brink of crumbling, selling the product for less than it cost to produce. So how did this once popular company get so far in debt? And how did they go from selling product for below cost to rebuilding into the world's second largest toy company? Let's connect the bricks and find out. This is Lego on the Brink. So today, obviously, we are uh, talking about Lego, which is famous for the building block toys, although that's not how the company got started. You're right. Uh, It got started in 1932 by Ole Kirk Christensen, who was a master carpenter. So he was already doing carpentry work. Yeah. And then when his carpentry things kind of fell out of demand because of the Great Depression, he decided to use the wood that he had left to make toys. He enlisted the help of his son, Gottfried, who Mm -hmm. would become very important to the Lego company. And he chose the name Lego for his company, which was uh, inspired by Danish words leg and got, which were to play well. Yeah, and and despite, you know, what you might deduce, ego does not mean to eat well. No. Um. (laughs) Also, he did not realize this at the time, but the Latin phrase I put together is essentially lego. And you might think, oh, how very clever. Not only was it a Danish phrase, it was a Latin phrase. Well, that second part was just happenstance. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say when he first started making toys, he actually hit bankruptcy and his family was telling him to stop. Just stop. Figure out something else to do. You know, get a bailout loan. And he said no. 
And eventually his company started to take off. He was really good at making toys. Mm -hmm. And in the 40s, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men do have to go aglay, as we understand it. The factory burned to the ground um, and it destroyed their wooden toys and it destroyed their plans for new toys. But, you know, thankfully, people liked what they were making. So they were able to turn it around and keep producing. They, they had made enough money through the toy production that they were able to have a recovery effort, which is, I mean, this could have been the brink right here. The idea yes. of you're, you make wooden toys and, and your you factory caught fire. fire. Yeah, that that would normally be, and this is why the company no longer exists. Yes. But because they were able to rebuild, uh, the story does not end there. Yeah, something else they were they were uh, fiddling with in the 40s was plastic injection molding. Yeah. Which is a, a kind of a cheaper way to produce toys. And they kind of figured it out, but mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to use it until the end of the 40s because of material shortages. The Danish government said, no plastic injection molding right now. Right. It was a, a similar issue that you saw during the war in various countries where certain certain materials were earmarked for war effort. And in the post-war, especially post-war Europe, uh, there were certain materials that were very scarce. And so once that restriction lifted, they could actually use this plastic injection molding uh, uh, machine to start producing plastic parts. They they made like little plastic balls and stuff early on. Uh, the machine cost 30,000 Danish krona and to give you an idea of how much that was in relation to the company's value, around that same time, they had a revenue of 450,000 krona. So 30,000 krona, that represented a significant uh, uh, investment. You know, it's not quite 10% of the value of the company, but still, that, that's a that's a big investment. It is, you know, but it did pay off. Now, along with making little plastic balls and stuff, they also made tiddlywinks. Yep. Uh, they had a traffic board game called Monopoly. Yeah. Not, no, not, not confu- Monopoly. Not Monopoly. It's <laughs> M-O-N-Y-P-O-L-I. Yes. And they made their first Lego automatic binding brick. And it just rolls off the tongue. Yes. In a four and eight stud version in four different colors. This was in 1949. But uh, they didn't actually completely come up with the idea. They had borrowed the design from Kitty Craft mm-hmm. with their permission. Yeah. No, this wasn't like they ended up stealing someone else's uh, design. No. They actually they actually licensed it. And in fact, in 1981, they bought the rights to the Kitty Craft Bricks. So. I think this is really interesting that Lego, the company, uh, had existed for a couple of decades before making the product that we all associate with Lego. Yeah. Like, like I don't even, I, I mostly hear people refer to Lego bricks just as Legos, mm-hmm. right? That's so... You don't even think of other things that the company has no. has gotten involved in. No. Um, and, and in fact, other snap-together bricks, like knockoffs, are also called Legos. Yeah, to the point, and you have this in our notes, it's almost getting to that stage where it's hard to protect the trademark because if enough people use it to refer to a general line of products and you haven't been able to protect your trademark adequately, then people can just use it for anything. We see that with Kleenex and Xerox and Jell-O. You know, and, and Lego did have some issues, uh, some lawsuits, but we'll get to that. By the end of the 1940s, they had almost 50 employees, and the blocks were just doing okay at that time. Yeah, they, they weren't, they didn't exactly just immediately take off and become the iconic toy. It's true. Um, but they also, in the 50s, perfected the Lego's coupling system. Yes. 
And they patented it. Yeah, this is where you get those tubes on the inside yes. of the bricks where they snap together. And and they they also had this philosophy with their bricks because they had all these different shapes and sizes that they could make. But they recognized that there was a real value if you could make sure that they were all compatible with each other. And that became a foundational part of their design process. Mm-hmm. They actually called it the Lego system of play. And the central idea of that was if you make a new Lego piece, it should be compatible with all the existing Lego pieces. And and they've kind of veered away and veered back to that over the years, but it's still basically the foundation of of their idea today. Yeah, the, the idea, idea being the company. That, that, well, I mean, you think about the way kids play, right? So you've got the way you're meant to do something, quote unquote, but kids, they think outside the box yeah. all the time, unless they're playing in a box, which is usually but what no, happens on Christmas. they're still thinking outside the box, <laughs> yeah. in the box, so, under a box, with a box. Yeah, there's a whole Dr. Seussian kind of thing going <laughs> on. But the idea being that you don't want to limit kids' creativity so that way if they have four different Lego playsets and each playset is meant to be a specific type of thing, don't punish them for experimenting and mixing things up and making a mishmash because that's where you see some real creativity. So... By the end of the 1950s, they had really started to invest in automation as well. And they got to a point where they had brick-making machines where one operator could could handle two machines at the same time. And uh, I just like to think of some Danish person standing between two massive machines, just a lever in each hand and, you know, alternating, pulling down on one while the other one's moving up and just— Kind of like a little boogie. Yeah. yeah maybe there's some, like, uh, some ABBA playing in the background. Yes. Although that's not Danish. No. It's close. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, in the early 60s, they stopped making wooden toys. Mm-hmm. Because no, they what? had another fire that destroyed them all. <laughs> yeah, I think you were going to ask me, Jonathan. Uh, no, I was just thinking, like, why would you stop making wooden toys? Like, well, gosh darn it, these things sure are flammable. Yeah, yeah. Um. And they were up to 450 employees. And they opened up their first amusement park called? Legoland. Yeah, and the first year that it existed, they had 625,000 visitors. Mm-hmm. So not too shabby. On the first day, there were 3,000 people who showed up. Uh, they were all put to work to build the park out of little bricks. I believe it. Um, and he, <laughs> they also created Duplo bricks, which are, you know, the nice big bricks so babies don't choke on them. Yeah, for the little kids. Yes, and they made their first Lego wheel, which also got its own patent. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up signing a, a licensing agreement with Samsonite. <laughs> and uh, they started to create their little Lego minifigs, the little figurines uh, that you would get with different play sets. So without those, there'd be no Lego movie. There'd be none of the yeah. Lego games. I mean, you the know. video games it is. By, by the time I was born, we had little Lego people. Didn't stop me from building Lego people. Sure, yeah. You could have made little yeah. blocky Lego people. Yeah, and they also started doing things like making castle sets and astronaut sets. And then uh, killed. Killed Kirk Christensen. Took over the company. Yeah. Who is uh, Ole's grandson. Yes, so still keeping it in the family. And uh, by the 1980s, we started seeing surveys that showed that Lego had reached an incredible saturation in the European market. That Western European families that happened to have children who were 14 or younger, 80% of them owned Lego. Yeah. Like a Lego set or just random Legos or whatever. I mean, like, technically, technically, 
You could pick up a Lego on the street and say, hey, I own Legos. Yeah, yeah but that probably didn't No, that's, that probably didn't factor into it. Also, they started cross-promotions with McDonald's, and then a lot of their patent expired and a lot of knockoffs emerged, like Tyco. Yeah, so now they suddenly had a lot more competition, including competition from uh, less expensive sets that started coming out. That would continue to be a problem, especially uh, with competitors that were emerging out of Asia, specifically China, uh, where where the manufacturing process could be incredibly cheap. And uh, Lego was still doing quite well on its own, but but there was this rising kind of concern that there were some competitors just looming, re- getting ready to yeah. pounce. And they did, they did try to combat the competitors. They did file lawsuits in several countries for patent infringement, but they weren't all successful. And... By the 90s, they were in the top 10 for largest toy manufacturers. Uh, They were doing really well with some licensing agreements. I like that you have here that they got a record in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yes, they built a track, 545 meters of track with three separate locomotive trains on it. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, There was also a period of uh, chaos a bit uh, where they had to do a recall because some of those little pieces were a little too little. And yes. they were deemed a choking hazard. They also started a partnership with Star Wars. They actually checked with their consumer base first to make sure that it wasn't too violent because it has the name Wars. Lego for a very long time tried to make sure it was not associated with any sort of violence. Yeah, they didn't even want to make any sort of modern day weapons in their Lego figures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But while this was all going on, uh, their parks weren't really growing yet. They were doing okay, but they weren't growing in attendance. And while they had weathered several storms and two major fires, the really big, big challenge was just around the corner. And we'll talk about it in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. A common mistake that a lot of people do, they use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. All right, so Ariel, things seem to be going more or less pretty well for Lego. They were really on an incredible trajectory. They were getting into lots of different areas What exactly was the tipping point? What was the problem that ended up really shaking the company? Okay, so in the mid to late 90s, they found out they were having a declining interest in construction play. Kids were losing interest in traditional toys for more technologically advanced toys. And they were failing at something called differentiation, according to the Brand Asset Valuator Test, uh, which was done by an advertising agency, Young and Rubicon. When you're failing at differentiation as a company, it usually means you're failing as a brand. It means that you haven't expanded your product line enough to appeal to the number of people you need to appeal to to make your profits. And it may mean that uh, you are not diversifying in a Mm -hmm. way that is identifiable to your brand, right? So let's say that you are known for making action figures and you you make a line of action figures that are fairly popular. And then you think, all right, we're going to make a totally different line. It's not related to the action figures, but we're going to make a totally different line of toy vehicles. Mm -hmm. Those two things, they're fairly related. You could see where there could be some brand recognition. But if you went from action figures to... Like hula hoop. Hula hoops or aquariums or something that doesn't seem to be as connected, then it's harder to make that connection where the customer has an idea of what your company is about. If you make tons of different, apparently disparate and disconnected things, no one knows what you're about other than they make stuff. Yeah. Well, Lego found out that they weren't diversifying enough. And so they said, we want to be more than just bricks. We want to go from this building model to a just imagine creativity model. And they tried to add uh, lifestyle elements like clothes and watches and TV shows. And it just wasn't really hitting. Yeah. They weren't seeing a reflection in the sales that uh, would show that this was a working strategy. So they decided to retire some of their employees that they referred to as designers, and they decided to hire on a bunch of younger folks that they called innovators. innovators. And this was a part of their diversifying strategy. They wanted to get a lot of different things out at once very quickly. And one of the things they also did was they said, well, you know what? Uh, let's let's add so much more variety. We're, we're going to change up how many different types of Lego you can get. 
And they went from having 6,000 different pieces, which is already blowing my mind that there were 6,000 different types of Lego. And they doubled that to 12,000. But the problem is that they weren't 6,000 more pieces that could just play with any piece in your set. Yeah. They were 6,000 pieces that were made specifically for very specific play sets, like Mm -hmm. a Star Wars speeder. Or an Ewok village. Yes, or or something like that. And so that whole sort of manifesto that they had created years earlier where they had defined their philosophy— seemed to be out the window. Yeah, they were no longer sticking to their system of play structure. Mm-hmm. And then they were also looking at integrating with other brands beyond things like Star Wars. Star Wars had been a real success, but then they started really hitting that super hard. And you see this today too, again, with like all the Lego video games and the Lego movie. You see a lot of, of incorporation of different intellectual property within those things. This is kind of where that all got started. Yes, but when they started... They didn't know how to do this, so they had really high licensing fees. Because they had all these specialized sets, they had really high production costs uh, because they had to, you know, use specific machines to get specific pieces that were not necessarily the same molds they were using for everything else. Right, right. They couldn't just use, like, oh, turn the switch to Batman. (laughs) It wasn't like that. So anytime they had to make a specialized piece, it would require new processes because they couldn't just make it out of the regular bricks. So... They started having issues with that. I mean, you start seeing rising costs of production. We mentioned early in the episode about how they would start selling products for less money than it costs to actually make them. One of the crazy, crazy things is at this stage, they didn't know how much some of these playsets were costing them. No, they were basically anybody who had an idea that they thought was good. They're like, cool, let's make it. Without really researching the costs or the time. Yeah. making They didn't put a lot of specific processes together for their production. So they have this enormous, enormous inventory, enormous variety of pieces. All these different playsets, all these different branded playsets with various licensed characters. Some of those licenses costing thousands and thousands of dollars just to be able to use them. All these things going on. They find out that 30 of their products are responsible for 80% of their revenue. Yeah, and that's that's got to be tough. Yeah, no, when you sit there and say, like, you have thousands of products <laughs> and 30 of them make up 80% of, of your revenue, then the natural thing to ask is, why the heck are we making everything else if you consider the expense of making everything else? And then you compare that to how much money it's bringing in. And you say, there's no justification there. Mm -hmm. So that was another huge wake-up call. The bigger wake-up call is that they hit a huge financial deficit and loss between 2000 and 2004, specifically in 2003 and 2004, despite the fact that in 2000, they were named the toy of the century. Yeah. So in 2000, they had a loss of $104 million. That's a huge chunk of change. And they also had to do reorganizations and restructuring. And this is before they were even able to address the actual problems. This was them saying, we have to cut costs. And when we say cut costs, we usually mean layoffs. Yes. So they laid off 2,000 employees in 2001. And that wasn't enough because in 2003, their sales dropped by 30% resulting in a $300 million loss. So yeah, that $104 million was bad, but it was just a hint mm-hmm. of what was to come. And it was $400 million by the following year. Ugh. So this was an, a point where it was getting so desperate that there were rumors 
that some of the executives over at Lego were even putting feelers out to see if possibly there might be a buyer to acquire the company, including uh, the big target was Mattel. But that didn't happen. We did, however, have Lego right there on the verge, the brink, as we say. (laughs) And um, they were ready to fall apart. But what would save them from turning into rubble and guarantee that for generations, parents would know the joy of walking barefoot on a Lego brick in the middle of the night? Well, we'll tell you after this brief word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Okay, so Lego's grown dramatically. Lego has perhaps reached beyond its grasp. Uh, It has suffered massive losses. It has found that there is a huge void where a strong infrastructure needs to be. They're dangerously close to becoming Icarus. What do they do? (laughs) What do they do to turn things around? Well, in 2004, they put a plan into motion to repair their brand damage they had caused trying to Mm -hmm. over-diversify. This process had an estimated seven-year span. They hire a guy named Jorgen Vig Nudstorp, uh, but he became the first 
CEO of the company who was not related to mm-hmm. Ole Christensen, the, the founder of the company way back in the early 20th century. And so he was the first, quote unquote, outside CEO of Lego. And he would still work with Christensen, the grandson, yes, to kind of put things together. They set up a war room. With lots of various senior executives. Mm-hmm. And and they decided that they were going to figure out how to fix the company, no matter how dramatic the reorganization was going to have to be. Yeah, and they realized that one of the big things they needed to do was go back to their core concept, to go back, quote-unquote, to the brick. Um, so they reorganized and consolidated their company. They fixed their outsourcing issues. Which meant that they were picking cheaper places to manufacture. Yes. And they made sure to continue to let all their staff give them ideas of new products. But they made sure that those products, if they produced them, fit within their company goal. And that they made sure that they had a good grasp on how much it was actually going to cost yes. to make and how much they should charge for the product once it was going to hit store shelves. They created a new inventory system so they could keep track of stuff and not end up producing more pieces than they needed at any given time. They really were focusing on addressing that mess of an infrastructure mm-hmm. that they had had. Yeah, they they fixed their supply chain issues. So they analyzed the materials they needed and the prices and put together pilot programs and then narrowed their chain of contracted suppliers, which allowed them to get better pricing and do planning for all of their production. They reduced the amount of colors they had and the number of unique pieces back from 12,000 to 7,000. So still a little more than what they were at when they did that dramatic doubling, but significantly fewer pieces than what they had been doing. So uh, also creating less of a a strain on the manufacturing system because they were making fewer of those unique pieces. And so all of this obviously took a lot of time. That's why they said this is going to be like a Mm seven-year plan. But uh, while this was going, they were starting to see results fairly quickly. Like they were starting to see that these efforts were already paying off. They continued to work on fixing things by selling off some of the divisions that they had under their umbrella when they were trying to diversify, Mm -hmm. but hadn't really been a huge success. So uh, they sold off things like their computer game division. They would still work with licensing and everything, but Mm -hmm. they weren't developing them in-house. Yeah, so with Legoland and with the computer games, other companies run them. Yeah. And they're just partnered with it. And they also started to get a better feel for when they should release licensed properties. Because one of the problems they were running into is that they would release play sets that were connected to licensed characters, but they wouldn't time it with important events that were involving those characters. So, for example, if you have a new Marvel movie coming out, that's when it makes sense to release a superhero set. Yes. In other words, they're they're improving efficiencies, they're cutting their costs, they're putting in the systems that should have been there already. Yes. And by 2005, which was early on in this whole process, you know, that they were planning, they were already starting to see some reversals of fortune. The company was starting to edge toward profitability again. And they continued to edge towards that profitability the following year as well. And they started doing things like pushing retro Legos. Because retro is totally a thing. Yeah, retro is totally hot. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, tools that enabled more creativity. 
and relaunching their classic lines like Lego Duplo or their city sets um, to balance out all these theme things like Star Wars. But they did make sure that uh, as they're balancing out their more creative play with their more theme sets, that they would interact together. Yes, so that you wouldn't have these special pieces that could only work one Mm -hmm. way. Because as people were pointing out, they said, you know, some of the fun is really just this experimentation. Like part of the appeal is that there's endless possibility in the ways you could put these bricks together to make different stuff. And there's a good chance that you could make something that wasn't even remotely on the box, but is just as cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like if I want to combine the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusting station with the Millennium Falcon. I mean, there's nothing that should stop you from doing that. No. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that sort of thing is really cool. They also got into uh, really focusing on how to work with media companies. This is why we got the Lego movie. And they also realized the popularity of retro blocks and stuff like that reminded them that there's an entire generation of adults out there who have fond memories of Lego, apart from stepping on them with your bare feet, yeah. where uh, that's it's a part of their childhood and some of them don't even have kids but they still like to play with the lego bricks i might be one of those, might people. Be one of those people i didn't mean to interrupt you but yeah no, no. yeah so they they decided that they would also specifically target that audience not just you know what if you find out that you have customers in a specific demographic there are a couple of things you could do you could just say oh well, that's nice Or you Mm -hmm. could say, well, what can we do to foster that relationship to make sure that we acknowledge that they're there and that we're thankful for them? And that's kind of the direction Lego went. Yeah, they worked on viral marketing strategies and user-created content so that people who said, I've got this great idea for Lego felt like they were listened to and it gave them extra investment in the toy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they worked on community building with things like legofactory.com and their Lego ambassador program, which they're very picky about. Anybody can apply, but not anybody can become an ambassador. Uh, And then, like, they're Lego certified professionals. In 2012, they became the second largest toy company after Mattel. They they bumped Hasbro down to third place. And they did have a bit of a slump in 2014, but that was largely due to an overall uh, slump in the market, not specifically Lego's performance, but an overall market uh, effect. And they've continued pushing forward with this plan and this new approach since they had this rebranding effort, and it's done pretty well for them. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Brink. It's about time for Ariel and I to go and hit the bricks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, you guys stay tuned. We're going to be covering lots more companies and entrepreneurs who met with that big moment of where things could have gone one way or the other and why did it turn out the way it did and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon until then I have been Jonathan Strickland and I have been Ariel Kasten bye if you would like to learn more about what we've talked about as well as keep track of all of our episodes make sure you visit our website at thebrinkpodcast.show or you can email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. 
Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.